Quick disclaimer, if you're listening to this summary to get up to speed on our podcast story, please make sure to listen to the previous season's recaps, the introduction episode, and episode zero to get a full story before starting season four. The Feywild West's third season wrapped up a few loose ends and created some even bigger ones for our heroes, Tally and Celine Argent Grey. Here's our recap for season three. Best Laid Plans On the heels of a dramatic ending to their trial, the two exonerated bounty hunters discover that the incarcerated Leroy Brown has escaped his imprisonment. Using some creative necromancy to speak with a dead Venasi member, Talia and Selene discover the location of a Venasi hideout. They plan a raid with the DMP and round up a posse to find and kill Leroy Brown. The Venasi Raid The DMP raiding party consisted of a tabaxi named Cowrie, a gnome named Bramble, accompanied by an odd construct of a tentacled creature living in a portable tank named Slog, the barbarian Renal, and the illustrious James Wilde. The group encountered resistance almost immediately, with a fight breaking out in a long hallway. James's guns piqued Talia's interest. They're quite similar to Death's Whisper, but spouted fire instead of necrotic energy. After a drawn-out battle ending in an anticlimactic shutdown of a magical Venasi golem, the group finds rooms upon rooms, some trapped, others holding strange artifacts. In one such room, a large crystal hung suspended in the center, its surface littered with fractures and gaping cracks, through which flowers and vines had begun growing out of. Selene can feel the pull of the Feywild through the crystal, and Talia confirms that similar smell. On the wall, a strange map of small glowing dots represents the different planes of existence, with the Feywild glow flickering. They realize that this is the reason the Feywild has been blocked off from the material plane. Although it is slowly breaking down, and this crystal is not the only one. Celine is so drawn to the crystal that she presses against it, feeling the call of the Feywild, begging her to push open the door, finally letting it out into the world. She's able to resist, but it leaves her feeling bereft and sullen, and the crystal remains in its place, fractured, but still whole. Unfortunately, the group finds no sign of Leroy Brown, and they set explosives to block the entrance of the crystal before leaving. Down the rabbit hole. Back in Airpike, Celine finds that odd occurrences are happening around her, possibly due to the Feywild Crystal's influence. This culminates in a visit to a local pet shop to purchase a friend for Adrian, while she and Talia decide on a kitten. Celine is distracted by a delicate white rabbit, which she requests to hold. The shop owner obliges. This seals the rabbit's fate. After returning the rabbit to its cage and purchasing the kitten, socks, for Adrian, Talia notices something odd about the rabbit, but keeps it to herself. Later, Talia tells Celine that the rabbit had started to change colors, which causes Celine to panic and demands a return to the pet shop to retrieve the rabbit. However, when the two arrive, they find the shop closed, the shopkeeper having been injured by the rabbit just before it escaped into the city. The pair immediately begin tracking the rabbit, 
following its trail all the way to a park, right to a hole in the base of a tree. Following the rabbit down the hole, the two come out on the other side, into a sitting room, where they meet a fey woman, wary of fey trickery. The two are reluctant to spend any length of time with this woman, but she insists, showing off her command of her time itself, and offers them a trade. She will give them the rabbit if they stay and chat for a while. They agree, and the woman reveals herself to be Nick Nevin, an ancient Feylord that gives some much-needed insight into a world they have yet to really understand. Broken Promise, Broken Heart When the pair return to Airpike, they check in on their children and discover a very moody Jareth in his room. After a bit of prodding, they learn that Al broke up with him. To Al and Al's father, Jareth isn't a good influence. Furious, Talia and Selene pulled Jareth out of the academy, which is currently being run by Al's father, and offered to hire Talden to be Jareth's private tutor. It takes a little convincing, but Talden agrees. Meanwhile, Talia plans a visit to Al's father, where she essentially blackmails him into paying all their tuition money back for mistreating her son. Her presence is convincing, and Al's father agrees, although not without drama. The final pit stop is back at the DMP office, where Talia and Celine learn that the DMP has been disbanded by the district. Instead, the district is forming its own militia, effective immediately. They attend the militia's parade, dumbfounded at the sudden shutdown of their organization, but Talia and Celine aren't deterred from continuing to do what's right for the people of District 1. Laid to rest. After the weirdness in Airpike, Celine and Talia travel to Talia's old village so she can bury her pack properly. It's a spiritual experience for Talia, and she spends some time with her memories alone. She tells the graves that she is sorry that she couldn't be what they wanted her to be. But she has a responsibility to protect her home, which has become all of District 1. Her father's spirit appears to her to tell her that he and the pack are proud of her. While Talia is at her family's graves, the broker gets Selene alone and offers her a deal. He will give Talia's pack, her actual family, back to her in exchange for Lord Longfellow's titles. Selene outright refuses. The broker, frustrated, demands to know why. And Selene says she will tell him in exchange for one question, answered without riddle. The broker begrudgingly agrees. So Celine tells him, Firstly, it's not our choice. A person's measurements are between them and the Undertaker, and what is dead should stay dead. Secondly, she doesn't think he's powerful enough to bring them back. And thirdly, Talia already has her family back. Satisfied with her answer, the broker tells her to ask the questions she is owed. And so she does. What is your name? The broker, stunned, furious, and a little impressed, is first to tell Celine his true name, Eslin Ha. Celine walks away with this prize, knowing full well that she will pay for it later. The Sundial Inn. On their way to the Harvest Festival, Selene and Talia stop at the Sundial Inn, owned by a dragonborn named Risden. She has a problem. 
someone's been stealing guests' things, and she can't figure out who the thief is among her staff. She also has a rather peculiar entertaining robot construct that attracts customers to her inn. Tally and Celine offer to take care of the problem for her, since they'll get a discount, and the two start investigating the thievery. After doing a bit of detective work, they find a whole room full of objects, which are confirmed to be stolen from guests. They set a trap for the middle of the night and wait. What they discover is that the musical robot is collecting things and hiding them in his storage closet. They also discover that he can talk, and the gem he's powered by has Feywild energy. But how did Risden come across such an immensely powerful artifact? Selene and Talia do some digging and discover that Risden once had a child. But when they ask her about it, she insists she's never had a child at all. The more they press the issue, the more distressed Risden becomes. This pushes Tally to do a bit of serious snooping into Risden's personal quarters, where she discovers a secret room clearly once belonging to a child. She also discovers a contract between Risden and the broker. Realizing what Risden must have done, Tally debates with herself whether or not to tell the truth. Ultimately, Tally reveals to Risden the deal she made to trade her son for her family's in-success which drives Risden to attempt suicide. Fortunately, Talia saves her in time, and the pair are able to talk her through the next steps as she waits for her son to be returned to her. They also free the robot, named Harmon, from his servitude and pay Risden for the loss, promising to invest in her inn to keep it afloat. Harmon hits the road, eager for adventure, and Talia Selene leave for the Fall Festival. The Harvest after leaving the mystery of the Sundial Inn and its owner behind, the family take a much-needed vacation at the Clearwater Harvest Festival. Celine and Talia have fun harassing a fake fortune teller, and the kids enjoy the fireworks at the end of the night. Celine apologizes to Talia for her accusations the day before, and Talia reveals the moth tattoo she got. Rejuvenated from their sojourn at the festival, they all hit the road back to Airpike. On the way back to Airpike, they set up the door and are greeted with a sudden Venasi attack the next morning. Celine and Talia immediately jump to action, but Jareth has an idea to help his mothers. While his fiery spell work is successful, Talia and Celine are unable to protect Jareth from the vengeance of the Venasi. Jareth is killed in the battle, and although he is promptly resurrected, he still feels the weight of death upon him. Talia blames herself, shouldering a new trauma among the several others she carries with her and the family soldiers on. Gifts and Revelations The family returns to Airpike. They spend some time checking in on old friends and relaxing after Jarrett's traumatic experience. Talia isn't able to shake the nightmares of her son being murdered, so she busies herself with other tasks, hoping to distract from the pain. Celine, seeking guidance from the Undertaker, receives a visit from the god himself. He sits her down for tea and explains why he appeared to her in her village as a child. She is his direct descendant. Stunned, Celine listens as he tells stories of his previous clerics, and after their meeting is over, she walks away with a deeper understanding of herself and more questions than she could ever hope to answer in a mortal lifetime. Airpack Antics 
Celine goes to the hospital at Talia's behest and finds herself in an argument with a doctor over healing methodology. When the duo visit Ernest, he gives them an upgraded version of their house, complete with pool and guest home. James confesses his former involvement with the Venasi and blames himself for Talia's village being destroyed. He also reveals his warlock deal with a demon. Talia and Celine easily forgive their friend and give him a doorknob to the house. The Grove Talia and Celine go in search of a place the warden told them of. A place that can help Talia get more in touch with her bestial side and connect more with her roots as a lichen. They come upon a group of squirrels that reveal themselves to be a semi-hostile group of people who, after our heroes name drop the warden, begrudgingly allow Talia and Selene into their home. There, our heroes find a hidden community of druids, a very rare type of magic user, and are tentatively welcomed by the elders. In pursuit of knowledge about lichens, Talia is allowed to visit the lore garden to search for text on the history of her people. From an ancient text, she learns about another version of lichen history in which the gift of transformation is viewed as a curse. It's upsetting, but it provides her some insight into how to become closer to the wolf and provides a foundation to convince Elder Frania to train her. For several weeks, Talia is made to sit and concentrate, splitting her mind's focus into multiple threads. While she undergoes this training, Selene spends time in the lore garden with Elder Silvaka, confronting her fey ancestry and her animosity towards it. Silvaka guides her to be more accepting of herself and to learn more about the fey rather than condemn them as evil based on the few she's met. Selene still doesn't fully accept herself, but she does learn more about the fey and feels slightly more secure that knowing more won't send her over the edge into madness. The fifth week in the grove, Talia finally sees a light on in the guest house and runs to find James inside. James says that Yaldin hasn't been taken care of. The militia is building a new facility instead of building homes, and James is hesitant to tell Talia what its purpose is. He finally does, however, and reveals it has a sinister connection to an old enemy, Victoria Gresham. He also tells them to take off their badges due to former DMP members violently taking over Odinston, using the DMP name as their authority. Talia completes her training with Franya and is able to fully transform into a wolf by binding herself to nature as the druids do. The Grove Elders host a party to celebrate the completion of her druid training, and she weathers the festivities as best as she can. When they get a moment alone, Selene and Talia discuss the possibility of growing their family. They then resolve to leave the Grove and finally head south to District 3 to go after Brown. Problem child. Talia and Celine return home after Adrian finds them in the grove to tell them the house is too loud. They find Jerris at the center of an house party, orchestrated by a mean child from school. It's gotten out of his control, and after speaking to him, disguised as two teenage boys, they help spark a plan to get the unruly crowd to leave. Jerris works his magic to send the crowd fleeing in fear as the family guard dog Max appears as a giant black beast. Talia and Celine promptly ground Jerris and lay down strict rules as to how the doorknob is to be used from now on. Into the wild. The broker calls in his deal, forcing Talia to stay in the Feywilds until her task is done. 
The kids are left in the care of Talden and Ernest while Celine and Talia are away, so the pair set off into the wilds towards their first task, to aid the hag of the Evermarsh. Time works strangely in the Feywilds, and the two soon learn they are spending much more time away from the children than they intended to, with days lost on the material plane, over mere hours in the Feywilds. The Hag of the Evermarsh. James learns of their predicament and demands that he come along to help. Celine reluctantly agrees and collects him and the construct Harmon, who also refuses to take no for an answer. When the foursome arrive at the Hag, she is brusque and instructs them to find a lost egg inside her house. Confused, the group sets out into a hallway. They soon learn that the Hag's house is much more than meets the eye, with rooms upon rooms upon rooms to search for the missing egg. After battling through a room of violent musical instruments, the group finds another room filled with heaps of treasure, the egg itself, and a giant green dragon. After a quick conference among themselves, Talia leads a negotiation with the dragon over the egg. The dragon is old and annoyed and refuses to give them the egg, even though they have the permission of the hag to retrieve it. Frustrated, Talia shoots the dragon and starts a difficult battle all over a single egg. The group successfully kills the dragon, takes the egg, and returns to the hag. As a reward for helping her, the hag tells them her name, Baba Yaga. Then, after the group has left her home, the hut walks off on chicken legs into the Evermarsh. The Rever King The broker's second head is that of the Rever Kings, a water fay who resides in a palace on a ship. When the group finds the Rever King, he welcomes them aboard and issues them three challenges in order to defeat him. A question, a race, and a duel. The first task is easily won. The Rever King asks them what he believes to be an impossible question for them to answer. What is the Egg of the Evermarsh's name? Talia quickly supplies. Baba Yaga. And the Rever King is speechless. He swiftly presents his second challenge, a race, between the group and his finest ship and rowing crew. The race begins almost immediately, not knowing how they could possibly win against the River King's finest crew, a group of experienced sailors and warriors armed with crossbows and oars. Celine pulls an old trick out of her cleric book, Control Water. She easily dispatches their opponents, capsizing them in a deluge of water that prevents them from retaking their ship and rejoining the race. The River King is not pleased but he has lost the second challenge. The third challenge, the duel, is to take place several hours after the race, so the group is allowed to retire in rooms provided by the River King. Before the duel, they are to be attending a ball and are provided outfits by their host. Talia and Celine agonize over how they'll win a duel against the River King, who is known far and wide as an expert duelist. Then Celine has a prickle of a memory a memory that isn't her own. The mantle of Lord Longfellow bestowed upon her not only the lands and titles of its previous owner, it also provided her with his dueling expertise. She spends a few hours practicing with Talia and James before they leave for the ball together. The ball is, as many fey fets are, extremely decadent and full of social engagement, including encounters with old enemies. James is entranced by the broker on the dance floor, and Talia goes to save him, 
only to be charmed into dancing with the Prince of Twilight herself. Celine panics, and with no other choice, invokes the right of divine intervention, calling upon the Undertaker to intervene directly. But her prayer is unanswered, and so she is forced to wait until the dance is over to pull Talia from the enchanted dance floor. Soon after, the River King joins Celine in the center of the crowd to begin the duel. Setting her fears aside, Celine allows the mantle of Lord Longfellow to guide her against the River King in this high-stakes duel. For most of the fight, she has the River King on the ropes. He's only able to gain ground when he uses magic trickery to bind her in watery restraints. It is then, when Celine hears her prayer of divine intervention from before answered, and the Undertaker blesses her with a pair of physical black wings. Celine takes the River King to the ground, blade to his throat, winning the duel. As a reward for defeating him in the three challenges, the River King gives her his sword that reveals itself to be a giant key. But their victory is short-lived as the broker reappears and gives them a compulsory invite to an event, his wedding. Wings in the Void. Celine bargains with the broker to allow Talia a rest in the house. This frustrates Talia, who feels she has caused her family's pain and suffering. Alone in their room, Celine speaks to the Undertaker, who gives her encouragement and reveals that Talia might be about to do something stupid. Celine stops Talia from leaving the house before she can abscond with the River King's key sword. They argue, and Talia breaks down, blaming herself for everything that has happened in the Feywilds. Celine tells Talia that she isn't a burden, and that it's her choice to help the woman she loves. The group enter the Feywilds again after a long rest. As they approach the wedding locale, Celine's feelings get the better of her, and she becomes sick with the idea of the broker Marian Sarastra, the Queen of Night Magic, the daughter of the Moonlit King that haunts Celine's dreams. After a quick chat with the River King, the broker appears to them, and provides them with their final task. Kill the Guardian of the Moonlit King's Vault. Checkmate. Making their way down into the deepest parts of the castle, the group is met with a decorated wall guarded by a massive void dragon. The fight is dangerous, but ends quickly, the dragon seemingly already injured at some point. When the dragon falls, it sends out a deadly wave of power, almost killing the party. When they are able to stand, the broker congratulates them on the completion of their task and allows them to have whatever treasure is in the room beyond. Inside the treasure room, Talia notices an empty case and remembers the tale of a sword designed to kill Fae. She insists they head back to the wedding. Fortunately for the group, the Void Dragon battle made them miss the wedding ceremony. They arrive just before the speeches are about to be made by the bride and groom. After the Broker's speech, the Moonlit King attacks the Broker, wailing madly about his wife, and the Broker runs him through with the iron-infused blade from the vault. The Moonlit King, just as susceptible to iron as all Fae are, dies almost instantly, slumping in a bloody heap onto the floor. Sarastra, Having done nothing to stop the attack or help her new husband, 
declares that the Broker has now become the new Moonlit King, thus unifying the titles of Moonlit King and the Queen of Night and Magic. But as she reaches the end of her speech, the Broker suddenly disappears, leaving no trace, and Zarastra quickly declares the wedding over and dismisses her guests. Selene, Talia, James, and Harmon leave the Feywilds to decompress and discuss their next steps in the hunt for Leroy Brown. Selene is despondent and heartbroken, although she can't articulate why. Talia helps talk her through it, and Selene knows that as long as she and Talia are together, everything will be alright. This concludes our summary of the third season of Let's Be Legendary's The Feywild West. We hope you're enjoying our story and that you'll consider joining our community on Discord, following us on Twitter and Facebook, and checking out our Patreon for all the extra exclusive patrons have access to. Thanks for listening and stay legendary.